After it, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is where we will start off this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of the back hardbacks underneath a seat around you. It's good to see all of you this morning. I uh, spent most of the week in Dallas uh, with a basketball team. Uh, this week was the national championship for uh, AAU teams. Um, and a friend asked me to come up and help him coach. Um, and so it was an interesting experience because I had not um, been with this team, right? So they've been playing for a few months now. They've been going to tournaments, things of that nature. They've got a whole system together, right? And I was just kind of tagging along for one week and weekend of games at this tournament. Um, and it was uh, an interesting experience. I normally spend my time with private school kids. Now, if you know anything about the world, you know that there are different kinds of kids, right? There are private school kids and there are like urban kids, Right? I mean, kids from the street, real kids, right? I mean, as real as they get in Sugarland, I guess. This was not, this was not, I guess, okay, the private school kids are offended over here. <laughs> Dressed in their Banana Republic. No, we're hood. Okay, yeah, we're not. It was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. It was a lot of fun. And, and so you kind of, um, anytime you're in a situation like this, you show up and you, you realize there's a whole little community there, right? I mean, they've been together. There's inside jokes, there's little hand signals, little handshakes. Um, and they just have a lot of fun together. There's this history uh, together with this team. And, and what was fun about the week I got to spend with them was that by the end of it, I was kind of on the inside. Uh, and I'd kind of been accepted as part of their group, right? So, so the first night, I see them doing these like funny little handshakes with each other. And, and telling these inside jokes, and they have this kind of team spirit, right? Well, by the last night, I'm doing the funny little handshakes, right? And I'm in on the jokes, and, and I'm kind of a part of the group. Um, and it was a, uh, as I was driving back uh, last night, I, I started to think about how much that's like uh, salvation, right? And I, sometimes I think we, we lose that um, aspect of salvation. Um, we, we, we reduce what it means to be saved and to be redeemed down to like a legal story. So we were guilty, and now we're forgiven. <coughs> Um, and we miss out on the kind of relational aspects of being adopted into God's family. Uh, of the fact that there was once a group of people who had love for each other, um, and, and they have brought you into that. And you now get to experience that relationship. They existed before you existed. They existed beyond how you exist. They didn't need to bring you in on it, but you've been invited in to experience the love of what Christians call the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, existing for all of eternity, loving each other perfectly, and, and salvation is this offer to come and to be a part of that, to experience that relationship. This, there's this kind of experiential, relational aspect of salvation that sometimes I think we can lose, and I think um, that the Holy Spirit is key for us to regaining this and to, to getting our focus back on this kind of more robust, more holistic way of understanding what it means to be saved and what it means to live the Christian life. Um, we are in our series on the Holy Spirit called Ghost Protocol, uh, covering the Holy Spirit. Um, we've talked about how important the Spirit is. We've talked about um, the role of the Spirit last week. He's the one who brings God's power and God's presence. Um, the third person, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and we outlined kind of three main roles for the Holy Spirit last week. Um, so first, the Spirit's job, the Spirit's role, is to bring God close to us and to bring us close to God. Um, the Spirit comes and brings God's presence into our lives so that we can know Him and experience Him and be close to Him. Um, the Spirit also transforms us. So the Spirit gets us unstuck, right, of these lifestyles of sin and death, these habits and addictions and problems that we're in. The Spirit's able to transform us from the inside out, replace our hearts, give us new lives, have lives that no longer um, show the work of the flesh lying and stealing and cheating and those kind of things and now show the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit also, the third one is He equips us. So He, he equips us and gives us gifts and abilities and talents so that we might go um, and do the will of the Lord around us. And so, and what we want to do for the next three weeks is walk through these one at a time, okay? And walk through what it might mean to experience the Spirit in these ways, how we might experience the Spirit in these ways, what it might look like and mean for us in our lives. Um, and kind of the launching point for these next three weeks will all come out of uh, Ephesians 5. So if you look at me, Ephesians 5, we'll pick up in verse 15. We'll kind of launch um, the next three weeks from this passage. Paul's talking to uh, a group of Christians. He's giving them instructions on how to live. He says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is a very Trinitarian passage, okay? You've got all three persons of the Trinity here. You've got the Father, you've got the Son, Jesus, and you've got the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul's giving instructions, and kind of at the, the, the core of these instructions is a contrast. Paul says, don't do this, instead do this. He says, don't get drunk with wine, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know this, I once had a sinner explain it to me. Um, apparently, when people drink alcohol, <laughs> there is this thing that happens where you come under its influence, right? You're intoxicated um, by alcohol, and, and it kind of transforms you. It makes you a different person. It, it, it kind of changes who you are. Apparently, you start to do things once you've drunk alcohol that you wouldn't maybe normally do, right? Um, one drink Mike doesn't really dance a whole lot. Three drink Mike has a little bit of soul in him, right? I mean, you just kind of, you, you come under the influence, you're intoxicated, you have a little bit. That was way too much for some of you. Y'all are like, what? <laughs> Four drink Mike speaks in tongues. No, I'm joking. This is softer, horrible start. All right. Not in the notes. So... Bowers was explaining this to me. And, <laughs> and apparently there's a thing that happens where you drink and, and you come under the influence, you, you get intoxicated, right? And, and, and what the scriptures are saying, nowhere in the scriptures you see this command to not drink, right? In fact, the scriptures will celebrate alcohol. It was God's idea as a gift to make your heart happy. Um, what the scriptures will say, though, is don't get drunk on it. Don't get to the point where you're no longer you, where you can't control your decisions, where you're dependent on it for life. Instead, in the same way that alcohol might intoxicate you and move you, he says, let the spirit do that. Be so insaturated, be so in, infiltrated, be so kind of overwhelmed by the spirit that it is what leads you to act and to move and to think. That you might do things you might normally not do, but not because you're drinking, because you're full of the spirit. You're intoxicated. You're under the influence of the Spirit. In fact, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, you remember the first question people asked about them? Are you drunk? Right? Are, are, you, are, you, are you guys been drinking? And their response was like, no, we don't drink. It was like, it's only 10 in the morning, right? We haven't gotten there yet. Um, I think a lot of our problems in the church would be solved if we did things in such a way that people had to ask us if we had been drinking. Right? If we were doing something different. Um, something that, that we normally wouldn't do, but we say, no, it's not alcohol. It's the Spirit of God prompting us um, to live and to be and to act in different ways. He says, instead of getting drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this command to be filled is an interesting one. 
Um, because it's a command that seems impossible to do, right? Um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit sounds a whole lot like when someone tells you to be happy. Have you ever had someone tell you to be happy when you're just really in a bad mood, right? First of all, it makes you more upset. Second of all, there's, it's like if I could do that, I would do that all the time, right? If I could flip a switch and just be happy, I would much rather enjoy that um, than, than being upset and being depressed. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? How do you be filled with the Spirit? The Scriptures will say the Spirit is uncontrollable. It's like the wind Jesus compares it to. It comes and it goes, and you don't get to bring it or to, to tell it to go away. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of uncontrollable. There's no bottle for the Spirit. There's no three steps for the Holy Spirit. How then can, can, can we follow this command to be filled with the Spirit? The language that Paul's using here when he's talking about filling um, is, is language that's kind of reminiscent of this wind metaphor. The Spirit is like wind. It comes and goes. And it's sailing language. So um, if you've ever been sailing, um, a large part of sailing is just being caught up with the wind, right? Being filled with the wind. Um, it catches your sail, and then it makes you go. Now, sailing is an incredibly hard sport. Have you ever tried this before? Um, a few years ago, I worked at a camp, and one of our activities was sailboats. And we actually had some, I mean, it was a rich camp. We had sailboats, and, and we got on the lake. And I discovered firsthand that sailing is not an easy thing, right? You can't just go and tell someone, catch the wind, be, go sail, right? What happens is you go on the lake, and you don't move at all, and you nap. And then that's what sailing turns into. It's nap time um, for, for a good 30 minutes to an hour. Um, I had a friend, though, who was working with me at the camp who was a lot richer than I growing up, and he knew how to sail. And so he would, while we were sitting there taking a nap in the middle of the lake, unable to move, I mean, literally, it'd be like time to go in, and he'd be like, well, we can't go in for the same reason we can't go anywhere. I mean, we're just going to sit here until God decides it's time for us to be back on land. Um, but he would be, like, flying around the lake, right? I mean, they'd be having a blast, going, like, real fast, having all kinds of fun. Um, and so what I did was I, I kind of started hopping rides on, on his sailboat and, and kind of learning from him, seeing um, his strategy, right? Apparently sailing is all about kind of trying to discern the wind, right? Trying to see where the wind is going, trying to pick up kind of the, the themes of the day, or the themes of the month, trying to position yourself in the right area with the right moves at the right time so that the wind will catch your sail and push you forward. And I think being filled with the Spirit is not too unsimilar to that, um, it's not something we can control, but it is something that we can learn to get better at. It is something that we can learn how to position ourselves in such a way so that the Spirit picks us up and moves us, so that we are intoxicated, so that we are under the influence. I think there are certain places that you can be that kind of drown out the Spirit and His work and His activity and presence. And there are other places you can be and things you can do and mindsets you can have that allow you to be filled up with the Spirit. So Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to do over the next three weeks is go through these three roles of the Spirit and talk about what might it mean to be filled with the Spirit in these ways. So um, number one, the Spirit brings God close to us and us close to God. How might we be filled with the Spirit in such a way that we experience God's presence in a powerful, tangible, real way? And we're made aware that we are um, precious and close and valuable to the heart and to the mind of God. Flip with me to Romans chapter 8 which I think gives us a very powerful and very deep um, reflection on this reality. One of the Spirit's primary roles is to bring God close to us, to bring us close to God. And so to be filled with the Spirit would mean that we are experiencing these things. What does that look like? How might that play out? Verse 12 in chapter 8, Romans 8. Um, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, pay attention here in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God, or sons and daughters of God, or children of God. All who are led by the Spirit, all who are intoxicated by the Spirit, all who are pushed by the Spirit, all who are dwelt by the Spirit, are sons and daughters, are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, this is an amazing passage. And you see here, again, this kind of robust understanding of salvation as adoption, right? We're not just forgiven, whereas one time we were guilty. We were aliens on the outside, and now we're adopted into a family. I've got a little sister who's adopted. She's now a part of the Skinner family with all the rights and privileges that comes with being a Skinner. It's not hers by blood, it's hers by gift. And Paul's saying that's the same thing that's true for all of you and I. We are children of God. And this is a truth that is remarkable. And this is a truth that we shouldn't yawn at. This is a truth that I think is enriched when we think about the Trinity. Again, this is a very Trinitarian passage. You've got the Son, Christ. You've got the Father. And you've got the Spirit. The Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, have lived in family and community in perfect love for all of eternity. And what salvation is portrayed here as is an invitation to come on the inside of that. To come experience what's that, what, what that's like. He says, you're the children of God. You're heirs with Christ. The same way that Christ receives the Father's love is the way that you receive the Father's love. You've been brought on the inside of the Trinity, able to dance with God. It's very similar, actually, to how the Spirit worked with Jesus during his lifetime. He says the Spirit leads you to understand and believe and be assured that you are children of God, to cry out, Abba, Father. If you flip in your Bibles, keep your finger in Romans 8, but flip over to Luke chapter 3. We looked at this last week. We'll, we'll look at it probably more than once. Um, Luke 3, verse 21. This is Jesus' baptism, which again I think is one of the key passages for understanding the Trinity. Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came down from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Again, Father, Son, Spirit revealed here in this story. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who, who mediates God's power and presence. He's the combiner. He's the unifier. He's the one who takes God's heart and God's mind and God's emotions and brings them to the Son. And he takes the Son's heart and emotions and love and brings it to the Father. And, and he does the same in us. He brings God's power and his presence to us. But here you see Jesus himself, the Son, receiving the Father's love through the Holy Spirit. You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus receives his identity, and he believes his identity. This is a, a, I think, this one little story, this passage, is a snapshot of what's been happening in the Trinity for all of eternity. There's a relationship between the Father and the Son, through the Holy Spirit, where the Father communicates love and life and joy and peace. And the Son perfectly receives it 
and gives it back. And the spirit perfectly receives it and gives it back. There's this divine dance that's been happening. It's, it's displayed in history for us here in Jesus' baptism. And Jesus himself is going to be led by the spirit. As a child of God, as the Son of God. Um, we saw in chapter 4, he's led by the Spirit to go be tempted. He then returns in the power of the Spirit to start his ministry. If you flip to Luke chapter 10, um, we'll look at another little description here in Luke. <coughs> Lots of Jesus' actions in the Gospel of Luke are described as being in or through by the Spirit. In Luke 10, verse 21, though, Jesus has just sent the disciples out to perform miracles and healings, do the things he's been doing. They come back, they're celebrating. Um, because they were able to. And in verse 21, it says, In the same hour, he, being Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Again, Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And again, notice what the role of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is bringing Jesus, the Son, close to the Father. He's brought the Father's love to Jesus. And now Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, is reciprocating that. Is, is, is pointing that back at the Father, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. I give thanks to you, Father. Now, the, 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 the kind of depth that you see in Romans 8 is that this relationship that, that Jesus has with the Father through the Holy Spirit is not just his own, but has been shared with you and I. That we get to call God Father. That we get to receive the love that the Father has for Jesus. The same title that Jesus has, Son of God, has been given to you and I, sons and daughters of God. The same address Jesus used for the Father is the address that we use for the Father. We've been adopted. There's this axiom that says the Son of God became a man so that men might become sons of God, sons and daughters of God. The difference being we're sons and daughters by adoption, right? So there's this difference between us and Christ. Even though we get all the benefits, we get all the love from the Father, um, the difference is Jesus is son by nature, by blood, right? I mean, from all of eternity. We're sons and daughters by grace, by gift. Our sonship and daughtership, our childhood, is dependent on Jesus' work, his death and resurrection. It's dependent on us sharing in Christ, being a part of Christ so that we might receive the Father's love for us. And notice if you flip back to Romans 8, how important the Spirit of God is in this whole process, in this process of adoption. The sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. They're full of the Spirit. It's contrasted with the spirit of slavery that leads people to fall back into fear, and then the spirit that leads us to cry out boldly um, to our, our, our Father. Um, the Spirit's role is to make this a reality in our lives. It says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit brings God's love for us close to us. It makes it a reality and experience in our hearts. Um, There's an early church father, um, Diadokos, he said this, he said, When teaching us to cry, Abba, the spirit behaves like a mother, teaching her own little baby to say, Daddy. Repeating that word along with the baby until it becomes so much the baby's habit that it calls its daddy even in its sleep. I think for those of you who've had children or, or, or watched children raise up, there's this kind of magical moment where they start to learn language and they start to name things and communicate. And, and even maybe more magical than that is when they start to name people. And when that name for a person develops in significance over time. Right? I mean, first it's kind of a syllable, and it was probably just an accident. And then it's, it's kind of a more pronounced syllable, but it was probably just gas. <laughs> and then it seems like it is like 
name word recognition. Like they're associating that sound with that thing or that person. And in a sense, dada. He's dada. And then that continues to develop because that takes on more significance. What does it mean that he's dada? He's my dada. He loves me. We have this loving relationship. And the mother is, is, is teaching this process. And, and there's this analogy here to the spirit who comes inside of us and teaches us to recognize God as our father. To name that. To recognize it. To enjoy it. And to increase in our ability to understand all the depths of what it means. That God's our father. And he loves us. The same way that he's eternally loved Jesus, his son. This is the spirit's role in our lives. When my brother was little, he was born when I was in sixth grade, and when he was, he was growing up, um, he called me Bubba, um, not because I'm a redneck backwoods <laughs> country guy, just because it's all easier than Mike for a baby, um, just a couple syllables, um, and so he'd say Bubba, and it was this kind of special experience in my life, um, right, where you see, and, and you get to watch that process, right, Bubba, Bubba, and there's kind of this fine line, like, is he saying my name, is he just babbling right and then it gets clear over time no he's actually saying my name like he's calling out to me i think it's clear he's recognizing the relationship that we have together um this the the role of the spirit in our life um liberty uh when she was growing up called me bubba uh and even this morning she walks by my office and she sees me and her eyes get a little big and she goes bubba and she gives me this hug and it's this like special time she's she's recognizing me right she's she's learned to uh, to call my name out she's learned this relationship that we have and this is the, 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 the role of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit comes inside of us, um, among us, and transforms us so that we come to recognize who God is in relationship to us. He's our Father. He's our Dad. He loves us and cares for us and protects us in this eternal, intense, furious love that we've only just started to grasp. That's the Spirit's role in our lives. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God that comes close to us. As a result, we experience God's love in this new, intimate, powerful way. If you flip just back a couple pages to Romans chapter 5, in Romans 5, verse 1 through 5, Paul goes through this progression um, and then hits at the Holy Spirit's role uh, in this process. He says, Therefore, we have been justified by faith, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And guess this? Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How is God's love poured out in our lives? It's through the Holy Spirit. That's how we experience God's love in this this deep, personal, intimate way. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. There's a difference between knowing intellectually and then knowing experientially. Would you agree? There's a difference between knowing that God loves you intellectually and then knowing experientially that he loves you. In the same way that there's a difference between knowing somebody and then knowing them in like a sexually intimate way. Or the difference between knowing the loss of a son and then knowing the loss of a son. You've experienced it. It's real to you. It's, it's touched you at the core of who you are. It's changed you. It's transformed you. What the Spirit does is it, it helps us to know God's love for us. But not in a way where we can just repeat it like get Sunday schoolers. Um, but in such a way that it, it's this powerful experience in our lives. When the Spirit shows up, when you and I experience the love of God, Christians, we, we call it the work of the Spirit. The Spirit has brought God's heart 
close to us, revealed it to us. It's touched us and transformed us. If you look throughout history, there's been different kind of spiritual revivals throughout history. Um, And at a core to to a big group of them have been this presence of the Spirit. So people would say the Spirit has shown up in a powerful way um, and has filled us anew with His presence. And one of the things that you'll find throughout is that one of the most memorable and and telling um, memories from all of these great revivals or experiences is the sense of being loved by God. This is kind of the one great memory. The Catholic Church uh, had this charismatic renewal uh, many years ago. You don't normally associate Catholics with with charismatic Pentecostals, right? Um, But but Pentecostalism has kind of infiltrated all of our denominations, which is a good thing, right? I mean, we we kind of sometimes, if you're familiar with denominations or history, Pentecostalism sometimes seems like the crazy people who do the tambourines and the banners and and speak babberish and bark like dogs and laugh uncontrollably and stuff like that, right? Um, they're, They're really focused on the Holy Spirit, um, well, that movement that started has, has dispersed itself into all of the denominations as they've realized we maybe don't want to go that far, but we have lost a good amount of the Holy Spirit. And so all different, I mean, there's Baptist charismatics now. You have um, Calvinist charismatics, two things people thought would never go together. Um, you have Catholic charismatics. Did you know this? The Catholic Church is actually starting to become a very charismatic place. Again, you would normally not associate Catholicism, what most people tend to think of as a very wooden kind of strict and dry religion with this charismatic experience of the spirit in fact though the largest growing group of christianity today is catholic charismatics right i mean there's probably more catholic charismatics than there are anything else in the world as far as christians go the church is like exploding in 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 central america and africa and places not in the west or north anymore and most of these explosions are charismatic and a, a large number of them are, are Catholic charismatic. Anyways, at, at, there was this retreat where this Catholic charismatic renewal started, and they, were, they described the experience at this retreat, and they described it like this. It was this feeling of being deeply loved, almost too much for us to handle. They said there was this, this deep abiding sense that we were loved, and it was almost like it was too much to sit with. I mean, it was just almost too much to just hold in, inside of oneself. We didn't know if we were going to make it. And we recognize that as the Spirit coming so close to us, filling us up powerfully, and then sending us out for this new work, for this powerful new movement of the Lord. I'm hoping that in all of our lives, we've had an experience like this, or, or a moment like this. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this at length later in the series. I don't think you can be a Christian without the Spirit of God. I think it's pretty clear in the Scriptures. No one says Christ's Lord except through the Spirit. Um, no one sees God as Father except through the work of the Spirit. So any, any sense where you say Christ is Lord or you acknowledge God as your Father is the working of the Spirit. But I do think because of the stories in Acts where people who already have the Spirit are filled with the Spirit again, and because of commands like in Ephesians 5 where Paul's talking to Spirit-filled people and says, be filled with the Spirit, that there can be subsequent fillings, right? There can be these renewals, these times where the Spirit comes close and again invigorates you spiritually in a, in a fresh and exciting way. Um, I'm hoping that, that we've had these experiences where, for whatever reason, right, it's, it's sometimes hard to describe. At this point, at this place, in this time, we just felt God's love. And we felt his heart for us. And it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was this deep soul core thing that we can't quite explain. Um, I remember one such experience for myself was just a couple years ago here at the church. I was playing guitar. Um, this is before uh, Trevor brought us out of exile. And uh, we were playing Filled with Glory. And 
because it was an easy song for me to play, which is why we played it. And, and as we were playing it, um, I was describing the experience later that afternoon, and, and I've never really quite had anything like it happen. Um, it was as if, I mean, we're on the like epic bridge, okay, the earth will be filled with your glory. Um, and it was as if like the heavens had opened up above me, like, 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 this, like I was encircled in like a beam of light, right? I mean, classic movie. And, and it was this, as if like the whole rest of the church had disappeared. So that time was like 12 people, so it wasn't too big of a stretch. <laughs> and there was just this sense, like this deep abiding sense that everything was right. And I had never felt more like a child of God. And I had never felt more sure of God's love for me. I never felt more sure of my place in the world. And there's a sense in when, when the song ended, this like extreme sadness came over me. I didn't want that to end. I, I wanted to live in that moment forever. I, mean, I just wanted to, to be there. These types of experiences are, are for Christians, we, we, we've learned to name this. This is the Holy Spirit working in us, bringing us a fresh, new, real, intense experience of God's love for us beyond just an intellectual understanding. Um, we might say it's supra-rational, which means it's ineffable. It's hard to describe. There are no words for it. It's an experience. It's not irrational. It's not ununderstandable. It just goes beyond words. It makes sense, but it makes more than sense. This is what the Spirit of God does when he shows up. He pours out God's love into our hearts. I'm hoping, um, if you're like me, when you read or hear read passages of Scripture that talk about the Spirit crying out, Abba, Father, and, and the sons of God being led by the Spirit of God, there's this, this sense inside of you that kind of like jumps at that, that kind of identifies with that. Um, the same way that if you are, you know, if I'm at a conference and, and all of a sudden they talk about young pastors, right? There's something kind of inside of me that kind of sits up, right? And goes, oh, that's me. I'm a young pastor. This is going to be interesting. I wonder what they have to say in that. And I can go, oh, yeah, that's true. And that's true in a way that I know that maybe everybody doesn't know. I, I resonate with that. Um, I, I hope there's a sense when we, we read scripture like that, when you see scripture like that, um, there's something inside of you that kind of sits up and goes, oh, yeah, that's me. There's something inside of me that screams out, Abba, Father. There's something inside of me that, that, that assures me that I've been adopted. Because there are times when we are distracted or confused um, and we are unable to experience or see or grasp God's love for us. I think we would all, if we were being honest in the room, go around and say, um, for every experience where we, like, we're overwhelmed with God's love, there's an experience of feeling like God's absent feeling like God's love is just an intellectual formula at this point. It's not something I'm experiencing. It's not something that, that's really touching and transforming me in any real, tangible way. Um, which is why Paul, I think, is the command, be filled with the Spirit. We know what the Spirit looks like. We know what He does. And we know um, what is evidence of the Spirit not being there, not moving, not working actively. So, um, something that comes and brings slavery. Paul said, that's not the Spirit you've been given. That's a lie. You need to name it as a lie. You need to reject it and leave it. Something that comes and brings fear or doubt is a lie. He says, name it, reject it, shame it, get it out of here. Anything, though, that would remind you you're a child of God, loved, a son or a daughter, adopted into the family. So that's the spirit. Run after that. Respond to that. Let that lead you. Let that guide you. Be filled with the spirit. What happens when we're filled with the Spirit? Well, one of the things that happens is we, we know God's love in this 
enormous way that we, we perhaps didn't know before. Now, um, again, being filled with the Spirit is, is it's largely about tra- uh, kind of positioning ourselves in ways in which we might be caught up by the Spirit. So um, I want to end today by, by listing three ways I think that we can position ourselves to be led by the Spirit. Okay, um, um, To be led by the Spirit means that we experience God's love, um, but how might we position ourselves to be so led by the Spirit? The first way is in prayer. I think in praying, um, you and I are able to encounter and experience the Spirit's work of um, bringing God's love into our hearts. Uh, I came across this definition of prayer this week by a guy named Sam Wells. He says this, um, really pay attention to this, prayer is a conversation between the Son and the Father, which the Holy Spirit invites believers to participate in. I'm going to say that again because I think that's really deep. Prayer is a conversation between the Son and the Father, which the Holy Spirit has invited believers to participate in. You see, the Son and the Father have been dialoguing for all of eternity. The Son has been addressing the Father as an Abba Father. And when we pray, what we're doing is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Him, we're joining that conversation. Think about the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus is teaching us how to relate to the Father. How does He know how to relate to the Father? Because He's been doing it forever. He says, you're, you're children of God now. You're sons and daughters, just like I'm a son. You're in the family. Congratulations. This is how we communicate. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we're joining that conversation. We're participating in that dialogue that that Jesus has always been having with the Father and is still having to this day. If we read the scriptures carefully, Jesus is not here. He's not with us bodily, physically. He is still a human being, still incarnate. The scriptures say he's at the right hand of God, doing very specific things, one of which is interceding for us. He's continuing to pray to the Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done for that group of people. Your will be done in that situation. Um, and, and we read it in the lectionary. Um, you, you'll see it later and just keep reading on in Romans 8. Um, the Spirit, Paul says, helps us pray. The Spirit takes our prayers to the Son and then takes them to the Father. He intercedes on our behalf. So even when we, we don't know what to pray, the Spirit expresses these inward groans beyond words. He knows our minds, and God knows his mind. In 1 Corinthians, um, the Spirit searches the mind of God. He, he brings our requests close to the Father's heart. It's the work of Jesus as our intercessor. In one way, every time we pray, what we're doing is, is through the Holy Spirit, we're bringing our requests to the Son, who, who takes them to the Father for us. Um, and the question is, is really the same every time for the Son to the Father. And the question is this, how much of your glory will you make true right now, and how much of it will be reserved for the last day? How much of your kingdom is going to be on display right now, and how much will we have to wait for? We'll talk about this when we talk about the gifts the Spirit gives us. One of these gifts in the Scriptures is healing. And we'll have to deal with the fact that, that you and I really don't heal people in kind of like a miraculous spirit way um we'll we'll kind of work through that together um but but one of the things as we pray for people to get healed i think most of us even if we don't lay hands on people and heal them pray for people to get healed is we'll realize and and recognize that some people get healed and some don't and for christians this shouldn't be a cause of doubt this should be something that we would have guessed would happen because we know the kingdom's here but not fully here that god's will is partially realized among us but there's still some waiting and expectation so when we, we pray for this person to be healed, Jesus goes to the Father and says, Father, will you make your will evident in this person's life right now, or will we have to wait? 
but the request is the same. And the answer, the healing or the, the not healing, is the answer to that question that the Father gives, the Spirit brings back to us. Prayer in itself, I think spending time in prayer in itself, is practicing this relationship by joining the Son in conversation with the Father. Um, it's flexing these muscles of living in the, the, the reality of the Trinity. So prayer, I think, is a, a way that we position ourselves to be led by the Spirit. The second one is community. Living in intentional life with others, other believers, worshiping with them, talking with them, um, loving, serving, joining them uh, in, in, in real life together. Um, love, I think, is something that naturally overflows. Um, so the love that God has inside of the Trinity overflows to things outside of himself, creation. Um, the love that God gives us overflows, should say, to people around us. It should, at least. That's why loving God and loving your neighbor are so interconnected. The love that the Father has for the Son through the Holy Spirit was overflowed onto the world that the Son died for, to the people that the Son met um, during his life who he had compassion for. Um, what happens, though, if you dam up love, so if you receive God's love or claim to receive God's love, but then it, it stops at you and doesn't overflow out into loving other people, is I think that you lose the capacity to receive love and to experience love and to recognize love. Um, I think it's when you let love overflow onto people around you in the context of relationships with people around you that, that you're able to recognize and receive and feel the love of God um, in your own hearts. I think this is why over and over in the scriptures you see this closely related. If you don't love other people, you're not loving God. Um, if you don't love other people, you haven't been loved by God. Love is something that overflows. Living in community um, is one way that, that the Holy Spirit works to bring God's love close to us. Um, we talked about this in 1 Corinthians. Y'all are the temple of God. Sometimes we make the Spirit and His dwelling in us too individualistic. The Spirit does dwell in us as individuals, but the Spirit also, and just as much, dwells in us as a community. I don't think you can be all that God intended you to be by yourself. You need to have a community around you. Um, so the way this works out practically, right, is sometimes you might need someone to remind you that God loves you. And that can't happen unless you're in a community. If you're all by yourself and you get distracted and discouraged and, and just bumped up, you have no one else to pick you up. But the Spirit often works through other people. He, he lives and dwells in and among the local believers. Y'all are the body of Christ. Y'all are the temple, the, the place of the Spirit's dwelling. And so the, the community has this vital role to play in, in reminding us of God's love and encouraging us, and then showing us God's love. I mean, oftentimes we're experience, we experience God's love by someone loving us tangibly. Um, so, so the way we love each other is the tangible way that we witness to how God loves other people. Um, you only really have credibility to tell people that God loves them if you love them, right? I mean, surely you know this. And this is part of the problem Christians get into with some of the culture wars, right? God loves gay people, but we don't love gay people, right? I mean, it's just disingenuous a little bit, right? Um, how you prove to someone that God loves them, like full on, my son died for you, loves you, is you love that person. Like full on, radical, as much as you can love and care for somebody else. And when that love is made tangible in their life, they go, well, maybe, maybe God does love me. This is a, a witness to, to my own life. Um, there's an author who wrote, we shouldn't think that we know the love of God that's poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If it's not, at least once let us to forgive an offense or love an enemy or be reconciled with a brother or sister. And that's what the, the Spirit's uh, presence in our life leads us to. And I think in community, we'll find ourselves positioned to be blown on 
um, to have our, our sails caught by the Spirit so that we might, in this instance, experience God's love for us. The last one is worship. Um, when we, we, we sing praises to God, when we recognize um, who He is. So maybe through song. Song is a, a music is a very transcendent kind of art. So I think it lends itself well to the, the Spirit. Um, it goes beyond words into this place like emotion and memory and, and kind of just existence. Um, reading of the Scripture publicly, privately in our, in our own lives. And then I think over all things at the Eucharist, at the table, where we come in, in kind of the central act of worship. Again, Jesus is not physically present with us. The way that Jesus is present with us is through the Holy Spirit. He brings to memory Christ. He brings the work and benefits of Christ's life and identity to us in our lives. When we come to the table, it's the Spirit who, who infuses these acts in such a way that they might draw us close to Christ, in such a way that we're not just, just doing this weird eating ritual, but actually remembering and thinking about and worshiping and committing ourselves to um, the risen Lord. Worship is this place where we, I think, are positioned well to receive the Spirit in such a way that we might go, Abba, Father, this is who we are. This is his love for us. Again, there are ways, there are people and places and relationships where you might be ill-positioned to experience the Spirit. And so you wonder, I I don't feel God's love for me, but if you sat down and looked through your life, right, you might go, well, it's going to be hard to feel God's love for you in these arenas. I mean, that's just maybe not where, where the fullness of God's love is there to be to be felt, to be dealt with. How can you position yourself in a way that you might be full of the Spirit, in a way that you might know on a deep level what it is to be a child of God, what it is to be loved by God? I think time in prayer will do this for you. I think um, that, that time in community will do this well for you. And I think time at worship, time at the table will do this for you. Um, I think these are historically where you can bet that the Spirit is blowing and where you've got a pretty good shot at getting caught by the Spirit. Again, it's not a magic game, right? It's not a card trick. You can't, I can't repeat that experience I had during the song Filled with Glory. There's, not, there's no three steps you can give. You can't bottle it up and sell it. Um, you, can, you can just go and expect. And, and with skill, over time, with the help of others, I think you can get better at it. I think you can get better at learning where the wind's blowing. And knowing what the strategies are, and knowing how to be in the right time, the right place, to be caught up, and to be able to be um, living under the influence of the Spirit, um, recognizing God's love for us. We've been invited into the family, and, and I think we have to, to work um, on making sure that we stay receptive and responsive to the Spirit's work in our lives. So, um, I think a great place to start this morning is at the table, and so we'll pray together, and then we'll be invited up to participate in communion. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for um, the love that you have poured out into our hearts through your Holy Spirit, the love displayed for us um, and made available for us by the work of your Son, by our Lord, the Christ Jesus, by his life and his death and his resurrection. I pray, Father, that you would allow us um, to be attentive and receptive and responsive to your Spirit that we would be led by the Spirit, not led by the flesh, not led by ourselves, but led by your Spirit, Father, that we would be under the influence of your Spirit, that, that one, of these, um, 
one of these truths that would be made real in our lives because of our influence under the Spirit would be that, that we have this deep and abiding knowledge of your love for us. And, and that identity as your children would change everything, would give us this, this incredible freedom to live our lives and live our lives for you. Um, I pray that, that that would be a reality um, in our hearts and in our minds and here uh, as a church, Father. I pray that in whatever ways where we are grieving the Spirit or we are ignoring the Spirit or we are avoiding the Spirit, Father, that you would reveal those to us that we might position ourselves better. Um, I pray, Father, for those of us in the room who need a, a, a fresh experience of your love for them, that, that you would send your spirit in a powerful um, and unique way in their lives. Father, I pray that um, all of us would continually come to a further realization that you are our Father and that we are your children, that we are heirs with Christ, um, that we are loved and protected. And we thank you for all of this. Um, we praise you for all of the gifts that you've given us, um, for all the grace you've bestowed on us. And it's in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God in three, we pray all these things. Amen.